Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. I've seen actual videos of Satanists, you know, with their banner and everything, the Satanic Temple or Satanic movements that, uh, you know, will go out in black and, uh, in, and protest in the public square. My guest coming up is the noted scholar John Horvitz, who you just heard talking about the disturbing infiltration of our nationwide riots in America by Satanists and witches. He has lots more to tell us, from the rights of the unborn to the rights of workers, and he'll weigh in on controversy surrounding the Holy Father, Pope Francis. Yeah, these are things that very much Leo XIII talked about, and, you know, they, he recognized, you know, that, of course, you know, you have to think in those terms and that they can organize. Um, a lot of the unions became very socialist or corrupt or, you know, that's a whole other, that's another issue. Uh, but, you know, they do, it, it does have its role. You know, a lot of positions that he has taken that are controversial and even, you know, very, very concerning. And the, and the and the faithful have the right to uh, you know to make make known those concerns and to uh, you know to address the, the Holy Father for, uh, about these concerns. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. <laughs> the dad joke, corny, grown worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political, and social upheaval, life on planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. Well, it's grand to be back. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Hope you're doing well and regaining your freedom in the wake of the COVID-19 shutdowns across America and across the globe. Wherever you are, you are welcome to our show. The world is already different. This COVID-19 crisis has cost us trillions and businesses will be gone forever. It will change even how we view the world of politics and our institutions. John Horvitz is my guest. He is a prominent leader with the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family and Property, TFP. He is a prolific writer, a devout Catholic, opposed to socialism, but speaks up for the rights of all men and women. I asked him for his take on the COVID-19 shutdowns, riots on American streets, calls for the defunding of the police, and the general mayhem in many places. We're going through a period of uh, historic transition. You know, there is a definitely a, a very concerted effort to destroy what's left of Western Christian civilization. And uh, even the liberal establishment, you know, that's which, you know, does uh, promote things that we don't, I would not necessarily agree with, but even those things are now uh, obstacles 
for what the left has in mind. And the left has in mind the breakdown of order. And, and so they want to break down order, institutions, history, you know, any, any kind of institutions or structures that are restraining and, and, uh, they, they, they want to destroy those. And so I think that's where we're at. A very uh, critical time in our history, and, and uh, the coronavirus crisis and the riots have just accelerated this process uh, a lot. Yeah, the riots uh, have taken up a lot of news time the last couple of weeks. It's quite frightening. Where is it going to end? Well, I mean, I, I would hope that there will be a reaction, and I think, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I believe in historic processes, but I don't believe they're inevitable, that we can react and we should react anytime we can uh, to... To, to break down these processes and not allow them to go to their final consequences. But, I mean, the, 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 what they say, they are the ones who say it. It's not me who say it. They do want the destruction of, uh, of Christ, what, what little remains of Christian civilization. And they attack, they're attacking all those institutions and all those things that uh, you know, they, they find so um, they don't want at all. So those institutions would be civic government, church, right. the traditional Police. family, Law and order. Right, right. Police, uh, language, uh, sexual identity, uh, <laughs> um, you know, all these, uh, you know, the, the, re- the recent, uh, Bokstok, um, um, judicial decision, you know, it's all saying, well, we have to destroy all these moral things that are very, that, uh, morality. In the final analysis, I think this is a moral problem more than an economic or political or economic problem. It's, it's very much a moral problem. And it, it revolves around good and evil. You talked about the elements who have infiltrated the protests in the wake of the horrible death of George Floyd. And this gets into good and evil and morality. But you mentioned a lot of extremist groups and even cited Satanists. Now, some people would be aghast at that idea. Are Satanists participating in these protests and rallies? I just wondered where that came from. Well, I mean, they, they are involved in the rallies. I've seen actual videos of Satanists, you know, with their banner and everything, the Satanic Temple or Satanic movements that, uh, you know, will go out in black and, and uh, become part of in, and protest in the public square. But also you have, uh, I've, I've read a report in a um, website called Mashable, where they say that witches are very much involved in, in um Lance, uh, and launching uh, hexes against police by name, you know, they're by their personal names, and um, spells and in the, in the, in the, a protection for the protesters. And, uh, you know, this, these are, and, and this is very much something that has is, is become mainstream. There are a lot of books now of, uh, you know, where they, they're mixing politics and magic more and more. And uh, I think it's, you know, this is something very dangerous because the occult is not something you play around with. So how should Americans, good-thinking Americans, respond? Well, I think we need to uh, put in perspective, first of all, not to, uh, you know, to, uh, to say, well, what, what is actually happening? We need to also be very, I mean, we need to protest when we can protest against uh, the things that are happening. We, could also, we also need to be um, spiritually prepared, you know, by our prayer lives and spiritual lives that uh, gives us the strength and to defend our family and our and our faith, you know, it's. I think it is very, very important that we um, we're out there. We're out there in the public square during the shutdowns. You had written about this, and others have the response 
by church authorities and others. What's your overall take? Churches have been closed for the longest time. They're gradually reopening, but with restrictions. Do you think there should have been more liberties offered to churches to open the doors? Should they have been shut all this time? No, absolutely, because, uh, you know, the the uh, restrictions upon worship during the time of the, especially the height of these uh, lockdowns, uh, many times it was the bishops that were more rigid than the state. They were more Caesar than Caesar. Uh, they would uh, do things, they would shut down things that were not required for them to, to shut down. And, and uh, you know, it was almost, I, I mean, I went to confession once during that time, and it was an underground church type situation where you just sort of had to know the right people and, you know, nowhere to go. That was not required by the lockdown. And so uh, there were a lot of priests that were willing to do very imaginative things so that they could, um, you know, help uh, their, their flock. And yet they were much more fearful of their bishops than they were of their governors. How do you see the state of the Catholic Church today? We are all familiar with the scandals. never seems to end and seems to be a lot of turmoil at the highest levels. A lot of people have fallen away from the church. It's, it's, what's going on? Well, well, there is a crisis inside society, and there is a crisis inside the church. And it has been a crisis for a long, long time. And we're just seeing the, uh, the, the playing out of this crisis. Um, I, I mean, it, it is tragic. You see a lot of, uh, you know, so much, so much happening, so much uh, decadence, so many times uh, the church not doing what it should be doing. But at the same time, I think you also see a lot of people reacting and uh, more fervent in their faith than they were, let's say, in the 50s or, or 60s because there was not so much at stake. So when you do have people that are, um, that do um, take their faith seriously, they take it much more seriously. And we have something like 40 to 50,000 uh, converts each year in the United States. And these converts are really quite uh, extraordinary many times. So, I mean, I don't, I, you can, you can never write off the Catholic Church. Uh, it's, the history has proven that. And I, I don't do that myself either. You have hoped that uh, this is, it, it's going to continue and come out of this dark period. Oh, absolutely. I mean, but it will be, I think, more through supernatural means, the natural means, that God will help, that God will intervene. And, you know, like, I, I'm a firm believer in Our Lady of Fatima, and I think that message is ex extremely applicable even in our days. And she did promise that, that the Church would triumph, and I, I have no doubt that the Church will. And also that there would be trials and tribulations for the Church as well. Right? Absolutely, uh, for the church and for society, because we are, we really are in a bad state. But uh, you know, many times it's in those times of trials and tribulations that we show our best sides. I heard so, a few people, more than a few, say that COVID nineteen was a chastisement from God. Do you subscribe to that? You know, that is a question. Everybody, I mean, it's it's a sort of loaded question because it's you know, you're, if you say yes, you're you're saying God is cruel and God is you, you know God allows this. But my my take on it is that you know, well, in history, you you can you can read uh, the accounts of the saints and uh, and and the popes, and many times they will say wars and pestilences and all these things are chastisements for God for the sins of men. But my best proof is to say that if you really want to know that answer that question, ask a repentant sinner, and they will probably tell you, yes, I, I, I think so. 
at least I know from my own point of view as a repentant sinner that I deserve any chastisement that comes up that comes upon me, and and uh, you know I will I will flee uh, take that because I know of the offenses that I've done against God. You are very active, your group, in the pro-life movement. Where is that battle headed in America? Are we going to restore a pro-life culture in America? Well, I would definitely hope so. I mean, uh, you know, that's, that, that has been the goal from, the, from day one, because you can never have half an abortion. So it's either one way or the other. Or the two sides are locked in, in battle. And, and uh, you know, uh, Way back in the 70s, I was there at some of the first pro-life marches. You know, everybody sort of wrote off the pro-life marches as pro-life movement as a, you know, on the wrong side of history. And now we're seeing, you know, that an increasingly large number of Americans uh, do uh, hold at least some kind of pro-life position, not quite what we would want, but they still hold those positions. Uh, We're gaining, let's say, in the in the in the war on public opinion to. Uh, on, on the on the pro-life front, so I think it is an issue that has galvanized a lot of people and uh, and mugged people's uh, the people have been mugged by reality by the issue, and they see you know just how how evil it is. Yes, I definitely hope we do uh, have an abortion-free America because uh, uh, then God would I think God would really bless our country and and. And so, I, yeah, I definitely think we need to work toward that. Well, what's happening is there's so many young people and students involved in the pro-life movement. Right. Oh, yes. Going to the march is just an amazing, it's an amazing um, vis- uh, sight, you know, and, and you don't see that on the other side. You see aging feminists. It doesn't get the media attention it deserves right. each year in the We've mainstream come to media. Sort of expect that, you know, it's over time you just say, well, they just they can't get their their math right, but uh, we know who was there, and God knows who was there. John, tell us a little bit about your organization. Okay, we're a civic organization of Catholic inspiration, and we defend these three values of tradition, family, property, through books, publications, activism, street activism, university uh, action. We're very active in the pro-life and the pro-family movement. We're uh, we have offices throughout the country, including Washington D.C., and uh, we've so, and we've we we were first established here in the United States, I think, in it was 1975, and we're part of a a network of similar organizations that exist throughout the world in uh, 25 countries. Well, we have what we call full-time members, full-time volunteers, uh, which is around 80 or 90 full-time volunteers. And then we have, uh, you know, different uh, campaigns in which people can become members, you know, through, by helping, by supporting our organization and also getting involved in our our, uh, our activism. Uh, one of those campaigns is uh, America Needs Fatima, which a lot of people might be familiar with. And I think at last time I heard it has something like uh, 200,000 members. I'm not exactly sure, but some, somewhere around there, 200,000 members. Well, your members are are, are always uh, quite uh, noticeable at different rallies and events, which are distinctive dress and your signage and so on. So you do stand out. And the bagpipes. And the bagpipes. (laughs) (laughs) Very regal. (laughs) You wrote Return to Order, very interesting read about an organic society, and you talked about the tempo of life today. A frenzied economy and also in your bio you describe yourself among other things as a correct me if i'm wrong a christian economist 
Right. Um, definitely, I I don't have formal studies in economy, but these days I think that probably works to my advantage because it has become so uh, dominated by Keynes and um, and by numbers and formulas and algorithms. But my 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 basic uh, my um, take on economy is very much the political economy, the moral economy. Dates back to the church and the the school of Salamanca in in, in Spain, uh, where everybody who studies economy says that's where you need to go if you want to find out where economy came from as a systematized um, discipline. So yeah, that is my background as far as economy. I, I I have studied the the documents of the church and the practices of the church and uh, the church has real treasures in as far as economy is concerned that most people probably wouldn't realize you know they don't wouldn't think of it in those terms but we definitely do what does it look like this kind of organic society what would it look like today spiritually physically what would our cities look like if they returned to order well i mean I, an organic Christian society is a society where you have uh, the natural God-given institutions of family, faith, and community functioning in society. It is a moral uh, transformation where you have a lot more of those links and safety nets, those natural safety nets that keep us, that get society working as it should. And so it would be a society that would be intensely social. I think it would be extremely social and would have a, it would be also very personal, you know, and, and leaderships where, where leaderships would be very personal and very functioning according to the, uh, how the church, uh, very much how the church teaches that, you know, that we, uh, it would be a hierarchical society where you have, you know, all sorts of things happening, uh, but it would not be a, status society. It would not be a, you know, that everybody talks about today. You know, it'd be something very uh, conducive to our human nature and very much oriented toward the common good and sanctification and not to the individual gratification that you see today. So it would be very pro-family, pro-life. What would conditions be like for workers? How would it be regulated in that sense? Right. You know, a lot of these things are, were, in the Christian or Christian society, were self-regulated, you know, and without the without the interference of government, and there was what what they what a lot of authors call the family spirit that, you know, that uh, the family was the was the template for society, and that you know in in your relationships outside the family, whether it be a school or in the workplace, you treated people like family, and that you had that. Uh, you didn't have that mechanical, cold mechanical numbers system you know have today, where you're just a number in the system, part of a whole community, and you felt, uh, you know, very much part of that community, and and everybody took care of their own. We have a very advanced high-tech society, supercomputers, right. and efficiency and profits are very important. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I'm not saying we need to, to, to you know, ditch all modern technology and go back to a sort of a, a idyllic time, you know, because idyllic times in history really don't exist because we are, uh, we because of our sinful nature, you know, we have uh, original sin. I think we could adapt to that type of society even today. That the important thing, even with all our technology, the important thing is that human touch that that allows people to interact because we are social beings and you know and and we are spiritual beings as well. So, you know, we those things are a lot of times uh, forgotten or at least ignored. And it, it and, and for that reason, we are a, a nation, a very individualistic nation. 
But us nations, very lonely, isolation, you know, it's, everybody's talking about that. Now today with <laughs> social distancing, right. it makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, right. It would be nice to hear the bagpipes in this environment to cheer us all up. But it's a fascinating idea that you have in your book. But I'm just wondering how it might apply in a big corporation on Wall Street. Strange things happen in corporations and they have interesting agendas and they support different pressure groups. As an aside, a lot of Wall Street money rushed to the side of Black Lives Matter and other fringe groups in the wake of these riots. So big business follows the money. So can you convince big business to follow the family and to support the family, even if it's going to be at some material cost to their bottom line? Well, I mean, any cause that they do, many times for these leftist cause, it it does go against their own interests and even their bottom line. Uh, so that it's not a, it's not a matter of convincing them to do that, but it is a matter of of a uh, a moral transformation that has to take place inside that culture. You know, I'm not a, a distributist that says that you know everything should be small and and so you know, super small and tiny, and there that's the only way things can happen. You do sometimes need big organizations to take take care of very big problems. So I'm not, I have no problem with that. I think we sometimes it, it is necessary. Uh, the ideal mixture, and even today, is big, medium, and small size firms, you know, working together to each protecting and helping the other to do what they need to do. So I, I think it can take place, but it is more of a moral problem and a and a, a matter of convincing the you know management and. Uh, and it's not an easy task today because so much of that is on the part of the liberal establishment. Back in the day, it was not unusual in Catholic countries for families and workers to stop at 12 o'clock to see the Angelus or bless themselves going by a church. I, I couldn't imagine that happening, for example, on a large scale in New York City where somebody at a desk stops to see the Angelus. So frenzied and in such a rush to get to work, the last thought in their head is, dropping into the church and getting an early mass, morning mass. So I suppose what you're also saying is if we slow down, you might stimulate more religious fervor. Right, and, you know, if you had, let's say, a a very fervent clergy that would be able to do this, to to do that work and to, to, uh, you know, to, to tell people to do this and not leave it to the lay people to say, well, we need this. I mean, I would, I, it could have a, a huge, it could have a huge transformative effect. You know, it doesn't, uh, doesn't take much because, uh, you have that, you, when you, the church is made for that, is, is, is a natural or, is an organization that, that conforms to our natural desires and our supernatural desires. And, uh, you know, we, the church transformed Europe, transformed the, uh, the Roman Empire, the barbarians. I mean, it's, it's done, it's done very. It's done worse worse things than that. It's it's confronted worse situations. So I think we we also need that type of of conversion today. And it's it's uh, I mean it's it can it can happen, but it's it, it may happen through uh, after much tribulation and after people have woken up a bit. Well, when you're talking about the church's role in history, that's with the hospital system, education, oh. and and other sectors. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it just, uh, you look at the whole, you look at, you know, education, you look at the hospital system, you look at law, law was systematized under the, in the Middle Ages. Uh, economics, you know, the Salamanca school is uh, systematized by the, by the, by the church. So, I mean, it's, uh, we have a lot of the elements that are in our hands, but the crisis inside the church and in society have really taken, taken away a lot of the, 
taken away the means that we would need. We if we had if we used all the means that we had, we we, we would be able to. I think it, it, we, we would be able to transform society. I've got to ask you, workers' rights and organized labor. Have you any views on that? Does your teachings and outlook support the right of workers to lobby for a fair wage? Yeah, these are things that are very much Leo XIII talked about, and you know they he recognized you know that of course you know you have to think in those terms and that they can organize. Um, a lot of the unions became very socialist or corrupt, or you know that's a whole other that's another issue. Uh, but you know they do it. It does have its role, you know. The, the and you know the church was the first to develop that that the, the guild system that was uh, was was highly effective and and did organize and and managed to um, you know uh, put together merge the economic interest of the of the worker with the spiritual interest of the worker because they would always have masses and processions and feast days and <laughs> and free days you know on their on the feast of their patrons so. The church knew how to do it. I remember years ago when I was a young wee lad being introduced to Teddy Gleason on the west side of New York. You know, he organized the Longshoremen and so forth. But I, I, in his office was this really large statue of the Blessed Mother behind him. I never got a chance to ask him. I, I just presumed and knew he was quite a religious and devout individual. I just found that interesting. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's, it's completely consistent. The church, you know, is is a uh, is a mother to everyone, and workers and and bosses and you know, politicians, whoever. She she takes care of everyone. Do you get much support from the church leadership itself, from individual bishops and priests? Yeah, absolutely, we do. We have many friends of priests uh, and even bishops that have been very friendly and helpful. And uh, yeah, even my my own book has has several bishops that have uh, gave uh, you know promotional blurbs. Uh, so we do. I mean, it's. It, we, I, we, I certainly wish we had more, but we do. There are there are those those bishops out there that um, you know who do engage a bit, engage in the fight, and we we need to encourage them to to keep it up. We'll be back after this wee break and pick up my interview with John Horvis, the scholar, author, and leader in the Catholic-inspired organization. The American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family and Property. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Why are 20 veterans a day taking their own lives? In this new gripping, brutally honest memoir, Iraq War veteran Tom Voss reveals the answer and an unexpected solution to the veteran suicide epidemic. Driven to the brink of suicide by the moral injury of war, Voss walked 2,700 miles across America in search of healing. What he found was something medication and talk therapy couldn't give him, relief from the guilt, shame, and sorrow that had been torturing him for years. A relief that came in the most unexpected form, meditation and sacred breathing techniques that shattered his understanding of war and himself. Dr. David Shulkin, Ninth Secretary of the VA, says where war ends will inspire countless others leaving them with a sense of purpose and hope. Brian Kinsella of Stop Soldier Suicide calls Where War Ends a captivating personal journey written with a compelling urgency. For veterans, their families, and anyone suffering from trauma, Where War Ends offers an antidote to the moral injury epidemic. Get your copy today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, IndieBound, or ask for it at your favorite library or independent bookstore. What always amazes me is the 
disparate messages you get from individual church leaders. You get one bishop who is traditional, pro-family, pro-life. And then you get others who are quite the opposite and making concessions and seem to be less pro-life and quite liberal. It confuses the faithful. Why is that happening? Why is there no sort of consistent thread? Yeah, it's definitely, it is very, very confusing. And uh, I would trace it back to this crisis inside the church. I mean, even the times of Paul VI, you had, you know, him saying that there is this um, self-destruction taking place inside the church. So there, there it, it goes back. It certainly goes back far. There's a lot of, there was a lot of bad philosophy, a lot of bad theology taught. Uh, and those things have consequences. It's not just, uh, those things are not just, very abstract subjects that have no consequences. They definitely do, and, and we're paying those consequences today. Is reform still needed in the church? We've no. read stories about scandals in seminaries, and there, is there an ongoing reform still necessary? Definitely, and, you know, as you see, in the, in the more traditional seminaries, you will, you will have a lot of vocations, and you'll have them overflowing sometimes. So it's not to say that those uh, vocations are not there or that people are not attracted to the... Uh, to the church or to the liturgy or to being priests and, and, and nuns. They're definitely out there. You know, if, if they would be faithful to their mission, you know, and, and faithful to the traditional teachings of the church, uh, you know, we would be in a, in a, in a, in a much, much better situation. What's your take, John, on Pope Francis? He's a lightning rod for criticism. Well, no, there's definitely a lot of positions that he has taken that are controversial and even, you know, very, very concerning. And the, and, the, and the faithful have the right to, uh, you know, to make, make known those concerns and to, uh, you know, to address the, the Holy Father for, uh, about these concerns. And so, the, you know, things like uh, Amoris Laetitia, which is a, um, one of his encyclicals that uh, deals with the question of um, divorce and remarriage, uh, many of his other, other um, teachings with ecumenism and the Abu Dhabi uh, Declaration, you know, there there are definitely problematic issues that um, need to be addressed, and we have I you know tradition of properly has addressed on our website, uh, saying well you know we we are we are concerned about these issues. Well, you've written publicly about, and can we bring this up, Father James Martin speaking at Catholic colleges, and people who are familiar with Father Martin knows his position on homosexuality. It's never quite clear where he exactly falls, but he gives enough strong hints. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, he is a very outspoken Jesuit and very smart. He not doesn't say outright many of the things that he, uh, you know, would get him into a lot more trouble. But he does make statements that are, um, you know, very very indicative of where he stands. We put out a flyer, uh, something like. Ten uh, quotes or ten reasons why you must be against Father <laughs> James Martin. Yeah. And you know there are all sorts of quotes where he's saying, well, you know, homosexuality is a gift of God, or we need to. Um, I don't know. I can't remember the ten, but they are very. They leave pretty much leave no doubt as to where he stands. So we, you know, we have been very active in uh, protesting in the public square where he has spoken, and uh, we've noticed he isn't speaking as as often as he used to. <laughs> Yeah, he's been very quiet lately. Right, and uh, you know we, uh, but when we when we do find out that he is speaking somewhere, we we like to make known our our opposition. 
So what's next up for your group? Any major campaigns? I'm sure the shutdowns have impacted your abilities to get out. Right now we are in a campaign of uh, where we're sending out young uh, young volunteers, uh, maybe 10 or 15 to a van, and uh, they're going throughout the country, and they're uh, with the Statue of Our Lady and, and uh, our banners and our bagpipes. And uh, we're visiting all 50 state capitals and praying for the country, especially in this time of crisis with the COVID and the riots. And so we're inviting people to come and to pray on the cap- on Capitol steps and other significant places for the nation because we feel that supernatural solutions are, are much more, are very important. And many times it's, you know, we, we arrive and we're at just after a Black Lives Matter uh, demonstration or just before one, but we're, we managed to stay clear. <laughs> and to stay calm, that does take a certain strength of character and, and faith for sure. What kind of reaction do you get from lawmakers? I'm sure some of them support you. I can think of a few. Yeah, no, we do have a liaison with the, uh, with the uh, legislators and uh, we have a Washington Bureau office where we uh, take part in coalitions and meetings and, and uh, roundtables that bring up the issues of tradition family property. So we do have a contact with them, especially the more, more conservative ones. You mentioned and touched upon, you believe in miracles. I mean, <laughs> all good Catholics should believe in miracles. Right. How can you explain anything otherwise? And you've been to Lourdes. Oh, absolutely, yes. After all these years, it gets record numbers of people. So people are going there. I'm sure some go because it's a place to visit, but I have to believe many are there because of their faith. Right. Yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I believe in miracles. I believe God does intervene in history. And you know, the modern narrative is that God just, if he does exist, he was the clockmaker that wound up the clock and let it, let, let it go and according to its own rules and uh, mechanics. But that is not the the church's position that God can intervene in history. He can change events. He can, you know, we pray so that a storm doesn't hit us, and it doesn't. You know, if we didn't, do, if we didn't believe it, 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 that God could not you know, move the course of things, we wouldn't pray. So, our, our, anyone who prays in some way, some way has to has to agree that the, God can do something and that miracles do happen. Are the parts of America more corrupt morally? spiritually than others. I'm just thinking now of New York City where you have a governor <laughs> who supported radical abortion legislation, sometimes makes light of God in a very flippant manner. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, definitely, I mean, you have more liberal parts of the country, but wherever you go in the country, you will find uh, Americans who are conservative, who are traditional, who desire a, a, you know, a type of return to order. Uh, you can go in almost any part of the country, even the most liberal. And sometimes, in the most liberal, they're more—you know—they they are more combative because they are more combated. So uh, I don't think you can exclude any part of the countries that you know that uh, from the from the battle from the cultural war that that exists. But uh, yes, definitely there there are people all over the country, and that's uh, you know we travel the country and and we see it all the time. I wonder if you managed to to have a sit down. With Governor Cuomo, one on one, could you convince him? I mean, he was raised Catholic, right? Yeah, and uh, now he's a, a rabid pro-abortionist and quite liberal in a lot of positions. Could he have a change of heart? You think, in during his lifetime, he can. It, but it is his decision. You know, he's he has that free will. 
Uh, we can pray for him. We can ask for his conversion. But he is the one that has to make that choice. And people usually make choices based on their lives and the, the way they li- they live their lives. And based on the way he lives his life now, you know, you, you have to ask questions. You can't, you know, assume that he will convert at the end or whatever. But uh, it's it's a difficult case once you've set in your ways and you've you've re- really uh, pretty much given yourself over to to those ideas. Then you have to go to the miracle. <laughs> then that can't happen. But God isn't obliged to work miracles. We could talk about that at length because yeah. I also recall Governor Hugh Carey near the end of his life said one of his greatest, one of his biggest regrets in office was supporting the legalization of abortion. Though you could be cynical and say it's easy to say it now, but let's take him at his word. No, yeah. I mean you, it can happen, and there have been spectacular conversions, you know, throughout uh, throughout history, and even even happening now. You know, people who uh, lived uh, horrendous lives are movie stars and singers and all these kind of people, and they're they end up in convents. And you say, well, grace of God can do all. John, I want to wrap up here. And so you're hopeful for our future. I think we can come out of these this dark period, and we shouldn't give up and despair. No, 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 never give up and never despair because we're on the winning side. You know, I, I definitely believe that. I mean, and, and really you have to just center your all your hopes on, on your faith, the faith. And and, uh, and I think uh, with the grace of God, you know, that becomes much easier to do. I, I'm a realist and see that there definitely are problems and major problems, and but I, I think God will, will see us through. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.